Welcome back to the Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a flavour of what's coming up. I guess the whole thing came about because of COVID and not being able to travel. And we just got into basically finding to fill our crack climbing needs. You know, we started climbing on the underside of bridges. And then we kind of like our minds spin around and go, but what if, but what if? What if you could make this 10,000 times longer and bigger and higher or whatever? The funny thing is about these these projects, we always say, we always do a roof crack. Like, for example, we did century crack and that was like 100 foot of horizontal roof. And then, you know, a few years later, we climbed this one millennium arch, which is 100 meters uh, horizontal roof. Yeah. And uh, you know, after that, we go, oh, we'll never climb a bigger roof crack than that. Then a few years later, it's just like, oh, we climbed this motorway bridge and it's blooming like half dome horizontal. Today I'm chatting with the Wide Boys, Pete Whitaker and Tom Randall, about climbing the most ridiculous, biggest roof crack in the world. But where is it, I hear you ask? Yosemite? Moab? Patagonia? No folks, this two and a half thousand foot horizontal big wall climb is on the underside of a motorway bridge in Devon, England. The duo's latest adventure is documented in a brand new film, Bridge Boys, which is launching this weekend as part of the Real Rock Tour 16. Stick around to hear where you can watch it. Good to see you, Pete and Tom. We're here today to talk a little bit about this uh, project. What do you, has it got a name, this route that you did? It's called the Great Rift. The Great Rift. Yeah, which is a, a reference to tectonic plates and moving, moving big objects i.e. concrete bridges. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, so, yeah, that's a good point, the moving, the moving nature of it. Mm. I haven't actually thought of that. So, so tell us go. about it. Tell us about the project. Was it something you were looking for? How did it come about? Because, I mean, obviously, people know you from climbing amazing crack routes in the deserts and in really kind of wild, out-the-way places. And then you find yourself, I don't know, where was it? It was yeah. down in Devon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in Exeter. Um, and I guess the whole thing came about because of um, really through to like COVID and regulations and not being able to travel. And we just got into basically finding to fill our crack climbing needs. You know, we started yeah. climbing on the underside of bridges. And um, where did that start? Where was the first? Because were you out in Rotherham? I think the first one started um, up in Scotland. Um, so Robbie uh, did one across a small canal. And then um, at the time, this was actually, that, that was actually just before COVID hit, because uh, I went up and uh, did it, then COVID hit, and then it just became like, apparently we couldn't really go anywhere, and we started looking for other bridges, um, and yeah, there were some local ones that we found in Doncaster, um, like above the, I don't even know what that place was, but above, it was like a, a mini deep water solo type thing. Um, and then it kind of, I feel like it was after that Doncaster Bridge one day. Do you, do you remember it like that? How we just sort of went, why don't we find a massive one or something? <laughs> I can't remember how it came out. I, I think like, it's always when we do, go and do one thing and have a particularly good day where we refine it and kind of just feel proper on form and are climbing well, climbing relatively hard. And then we kind of like our minds spin around and go, but what if, but what if? What if you could make this 10,000 times longer and bigger and higher or whatever? And how did you go about 
searching for something bigger because there's a there's a clip in the film i don't want to spoil it for people who are going to watch the film but there's a clip of you kind of looking at plans almost on a laptop did you did you get into some nerdy kind of looking at plans or how did you or was it just somebody that told you about that big bridge well i think it's really it's a combination because pretty much any i'm not gonna say every but any lots of uh, modern climbers basically just go on the internet or go on instagram and just sort of search through their sources of people that know about bridge cracks so it was a combination of putting kind of shout outs on social media asking if anyone's seen any bridge roof cracks which uh, was surprisingly successful <laughs> <laughs> turns out lots of people are looking at them and then going on websites and searching like I did a lot of search on Google for canal bridge roof canal bridge crack canal concrete bridge you know yeah, trying yeah, to find yeah. photos and things I mean is it a big scene so obviously going back in time climbers have always sort of climbed on buildings haven't they if, they're, if you're at university in a town and there's not a climbing wall back in the day they would be doing stuff and um but I mean, is you know, parkour's a big thing, isn't it? But I mean, is this really niche? People that are into climbing on cracks, on bridges in places like Doncaster. Sure. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty niche because obviously you've got climbing, that's quite mainstream. But then you've got like um, uh, crack climbing. Yeah. But then within crack climbing, you have roof crack climbing, and then within roof crack climbing, you have bridge crack climbing, and then you sort of have like, yeah, bridge roofs. So it's a very niche area. It's finally a chance that we, we, we could be really good at something. Yeah. In our own <laughs> as modest as ever. <laughs> so you've been, you've, been down in yeah. the, you've been down in the cellar here over the years, training for these like cracks in remote places, and now you're down there training for places in Doncaster or Exeter. Yeah. So what, what was the big challenge with it? Did you, I mean, did you go and look at it and look at the size of it when you first saw that? kind of project in Exeter what how did you go about it and presumably you must have been worried about I guess objective dangers like just the police the authorities and all that talk a little bit about that when you when you when you saw it mm, I think that so the main thing was is that it's actually really hard to get just the right architecture for just the right crack a lot of them around the country there are really big roof cracks but they have breaks in them or they change way too much or they have a, a section that's just totally impossible. The engineers weren't thinking about you at the time. Yeah, this was, this was the thing. Um, we needed a time machine to talk to them back in the, <laughs> the early, early engineering. But uh, no, so we were trying to find a roof crack that was one, completely continuous all the way along with no breaks, which is really difficult to do. And then secondly, is a, a size which is doable because a roof crack of 50 foot, I mean, I don't even know if there's a 50-foot roof, or maybe there are a couple of Gogarth 50-foot roof cracks, but they're generally some of the hardest trad routes in the country, even at 50 foot. So when you're thinking about one that might be 1,000 foot, 2,000, 3,000 foot long, it's got to be a size that's doable for that length. Yeah. So and that's what we were scoping out initially. There might be people listening who don't really know what we're talking about because it's so esoteric. <laughs> if we start with like a jam, which sounds really obvious to us, we all live close to the Peakley Street, used to trad climbing but you know it's not always the case is it like we're out sport climbing in Spain people will avoid a jam at all costs whereas we tend to sort of think well that's nice but talking about the different kinds of jams I mean basically you're putting your hand into a crack in the rock or a bridge and basically getting it to sort of cam I mean Pete can you explain a little bit about what jamming is and then the different sizes because on this bridge you were using many different your hands in different ways to basically gain purchase in the crack 
Yeah, so um, a jam is basically uh, what we say, yeah, like exactly like you said, you're putting your hand or a body part into the crack um, in a certain shape, usually like a thin shape so you can fit it into the crack, and then you're squeezing or camming or twisting that body part to make it stick on either crack wall, essentially, and that's what we call a jam. Yeah. Um, Haven't you written a book about it? I have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're wearing gloves to try and protect your skin as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. wear tape and gloves. Um, and on this specific crack that we were doing, we were using something called uh, cupped hand jams. So um, a little bit wider than uh, like a hand, a hand jam or a hand width. Um, and yeah, it's not like the easiest size so we basically use like lots of tape and lots of crack gloves to kind of bulk out and the how hand was and your skin after was it two and a half thousand foot long this crack yeah it was i mean it ended up being the whole line as, as such was about two and a half thousand foot and it's more like the skit if you can protect a part of your body with some kind of tape or rubber or, or something like that, then it's kind of okay as long as you're moderate about it. But eventually what happens is that the protection that you're using rucks up in certain places or it wears through and goes thin. And ultimately, once you've done two, three, four thousand repeated movements of the same type, it starts to get relatively painful. Mostly we had an issue around uh, like just general fatigue and our bodies just yeah <laughs> not being coping. battered yeah being battered very repetitive so how long did it take to do the whole thing um how long were we on there we were on there for four days but I think you, three nights you, when you actually did it but it was, there was an earlier attempt wasn't there talk yeah a little, talk a little bit about that the, the the first attempt um so we had uh we had kind of two main goes the first attempt we were on there for two days and we got to just under halfway so we had uh, yeah one day, one night, one day, and then at the end of the second day, um, the police came, and then they ended up like calling us down because they didn't really know what was going on, uh, and they they thought we might be protesters. It was the time when the protests were going on on like the M25 and stuff like that. So I'm not sure it was like great. I thought you were maybe trying to like glue yourself to the bridge. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'm not really sure. But then we sort of had like an open dialogue with the police and we kind of explained what we were doing and um and you know after a number of phone calls and after a number of weeks we actually you know got to the point where we, we were all friendly and uh, things were things were looking up and we had another uh we had another attempt and uh that's where we took like four days three nights um yeah to climb the whole thing so so you're staying up there yeah and we're, you're, you're sleeping on a, a porter ledge which is kind of for people that don't know kind of like a I don't know, sunbed, a couple of sunbeds that you can kind of, yeah, or ledges, yeah. Yeah, so we had a portal edge, um, yeah, basically like a hanging bed. The funny thing about the portal edge was, um, usually when you're big walling, the back of the portal edge touches the rock, so it's like quite stable, whereas right. this one was like a blooming big swing, like a swing, <laughs> it was yeah. so, I've never really experienced that before, but it was quite odd having a portal edge hanging, but not against anything good point it's just free hanging. it was just free hanging so it was you had to like sit and lie pretty still and that's not the wind or anything it's just that every time you move the portal edge is kind of moving around yeah because you yeah. it's always you tend to sleep uh head to toe yeah with each other and so 
your sort of in the counterbalance, you have to be quite careful about where you put your hips or you know how far you move your shoulders away from the other person. You could definitely you know slide during the night and then make the other person either slide towards you or completely away you and almost fall off the edge. <laughs> yeah. And have you? I know you guys have done tons of projects together before. Have you done many where you've stayed on a portal edge together? Or has it been mainly one day routes? Yeah, no, we've done. I think we've done. Uh, we've climbed three big walls together, haven't we? Okay. We did three. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've done. Yeah. We've done a good amount. We probably any any habits that annoy each other. I don't know anybody a snorer amongst you. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're both pretty all right, to be honest. Although yeah. I guess there you might not have heard the snoring anyway, but because of the road noise, is that right? It was noisy, but I felt like after about a day, you didn't really notice it anymore. It was yeah. really bizarre. We thought it was going to be a major problem. And we had earplugs, and it felt like a yeah a big issue. But I think like so many things, you just get accustomed to it, and it's it's now your new normal. Yeah, and you don't think anything of it. I, I think the funny thing was with the noise, especially throughout the day, when it was like the most busy on the motorway. What I noticed was um, was when it was actually quiet on the road. You got so used to the noise that when there was actually a lull in the traffic, you're like freaked you out. What's going on? Like that. That's what was. That's what you noticed. In the yeah. end, you, like Tom said, you didn't notice the noise. It and just like became normal. A big contrast to the silence of the desert, no doubt, that you've, where you've spent many... Yeah, many, quite many a contrast. Years. <laughs> yeah. What else? I mean, dirty debris in the crack. Tell us about some of the other things that you had to deal with. Yeah. A bit the, unusual. Because we were taking a, a ground-up approach of you can't go along it and walk along the top of the motorway and stick a brush down and brush it all the way down. So you've got years, and I don't know if it's years because I, I guess the water always keeps running through, but you've got all this dust and debris and oil and just everything that's coming off the motorway above being washed down into the crack in the central reservation. So it is quite dirty, and uh, you've, you're sort of either turning your face slightly away from it as you're climbing because you're looking directly into the crack, so it's always falling into your eyes and your mouth as you're climbing. Pete went for a kind of a, a goggle approach, but my goggles were so bad because I bought them a fancy dress shop. And, uh, <laughs> they, they look they, pretty good. They were like yeah. First World War fighter pilot goggles. Nice. So they had a, like a bend in the glass, but it was acting like a prism until the light was like splitting. It was like I was going clubbing <laughs> whilst upside down in this crack. I, I just sacked it off. I couldn't do it. Just took the pain. And the, the and another small point in terms of technique when you climb, I've seen a little video clip of you on it. Sometimes you're going hands first in the crack and sometimes you're going feet first why is that is it just for, for, for a change or is it just that size of crack means that it's going to be easy to go for feet first tell us about that it, mainly we actually went hands first yeah. due to the size of the crack but occasionally i think i i'm not sure you went feet first in any of it i think i i did on a couple of pictures um and that was just where the crack got a little bit thinner um right. because it's yeah it's just a bit easier when when the crack was when the crack was thinner uh, you could put more, a bit more weight on your feet. I guess the difference between going hands first and feet first, usually like hands first, uh, you can move a bit more quickly, um, yeah. but it can be you know, a little bit more tiring. It feels a bit more on your arms. Whereas yeah. if you go feet first, um, it's a bit slower movement, um, uh, but it feels a bit more secure because you can hang on your feet a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so. And I mean, do you, you take in sort of ibuprofen or something? I'm thinking that days and days of jamming, it must be brutal or not. You just get used to it. Yeah, we didn't actually take anything, didn't really have a plan to until the last day where, or the night, the last night that we had on the 
the uh, bridge and my shoulders were just massively playing up because um, of a, like a, an injury issue that I'd had earlier that year. Yeah. And it's, it's just so aggravating doing the same move again and again and again. And it's really, it's quite upper body dominant because it is in a roof. Yeah. And that was the point where I was like, oh, I think I'm going to take something for this last day because I don't feel like I can get through it. And it sounds super sustained at a high level. What, what, what was the grade range? I mean, it was... I think, it, it, yeah, it really depended on the length of the pitch that we did and the movement of the bridge. Um, so I think probably the easiest pitch we did was maybe like 7B+. plus. 7B, 7B plus. And then probably the hardest pitch we did was probably actually Tom's last pitch. And I feel like that could have been around 8A plus. Like if that was mm. in an, a, an actual uh, rock climb. So anywhere from like, yeah, yeah, 7B, 7B plus to 8A plus. And was it harder bit because it went wider or thinner or just a bit of a mixture? Uh, just a, yeah, a mixture of the size and how much the bridge was flexing. It's funny, like the whole flexing thing of the bridge feels like anyone we've talked to so far doesn't quite get this mm. and I feel like now when <laughs> I talk to people I'm wanting, terrifying, to, so. yeah, I'm like wanting to overemphasize it because it feels like because you don't when you go climbing normally you're not used to the ground or the rock that you're moving on flexing all the time you'd so be you, pretty worried if that was happening yeah, <laughs> yeah to be fair <laughs> and it's kind of stressful <clears throat> yeah originally thinking well do the friends hold uh, do we have to be careful about where we sleep at night because obviously it's all yeah. on these kind of removable friends in the roof crack and how much is my hand going to jam if I put it in a slightly wider bit as it's flexing open and then it closes down? Can I get my hand out? Or how hard is the move going to feel when I'm just starting to release with one hand and it flexes open? It sounds really stressful to me. I mean, going back a little bit to cams, because there might be people listening who don't quite understand what a cam is. So that's, you describe Pete what a hand jam is, but a cam essentially is the, is the thing that you're hanging on on the B layers, you're hanging your portal edge off, and it's the thing that you're passing the rope through to protect you. And it works by sort of, well, by by normally the the crack being stable, isn't it? And it's creating pressure against the wall. So if that moves and the, the, the cam falls out, I mean, that's terrifying. Because basically, potentially, all the kit that you're hanging on and climbing yeah. could just come out. <laughs> yeah. um, the only story I've heard like that was years ago. There was somebody on, some climbers on the Drew and there was some seismic thing. And then there was a big rock fall soon after that. They were climbing up a crack on the Drew. And basically, that kind of happened, what you're describing. And they utterly freaked out, and they got on the uh, the radio, and they were actually rescued. Mm. And then a day or two days later, there was an enormous rockfall on the Benati Pillar. Oof. That's the only story I've heard of that, and it utterly freaked them out. But you were experiencing that for quite a while. <laughs> you couldn't ring the rescue. It's like, no, this is what it is. This is actually how this crack works, which is a bit bonkers, really. Uh, it was a, it was small amounts of movements, but you could see the cams like flexing. Did, that, did the out. first time that happened kind of really freak you out? Uh, I'd say, so one thing that um, like does us to be said is that we trained and climbed on a really good bridge roof crack in Sheffield. Right. Um, a sort of like a training venue beforehand. Okay. And that bridge has a degree of flex in it as well. Right. Um, and some really big lorries go over it. So we were somewhat accustomed to this feeling. Right, okay. But the one in Sheffield is really minor in terms of how much it flexes. Right. But I think it was... It was maybe on the first attempt that we had down there and we were on a pitch really like right in the middle of the pillars where the concrete flexes the most and i think i can't remember who was on the lead but it was like oh dear <laughs> this is an issue yeah i remember the first time we got out into that center point and it was just like oh crikey like <laughs> best not be like this all the way along yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah 
pretty uh, tricky. Interaction with folks. So you've got, in the film, there's sort of people there. I mean, it, was it the cops, the highway agencies? Was it just sort of like passers-bys or people who'd sort of started watching you and coming up? What was, what was the bit of banter there from the ground? What was the scene? Oh, it was pretty much everyone, wasn't it? It was all, all the agencies. I think we had the highways agency, the rivers agency, the council and the police. They all popped up. Have a little look, see what we're doing. And and then the public, because it was a, a canal path that was basically the halfway point that you passed. Yeah. So people would come along their bikes and have a walk and, and see what's going on. But we didn't have any, no one shouted us or we didn't have any interaction with the ground because the, they were talking to the filmmakers and right. mm. like to our ground support. Yeah. yeah. So we never really got to... We never no spoke to... Said. No, we got and, no idea what people said, no. And the filmmakers, they on the ground looking it from the side. Are you guys doing a bit of filming as well? What was the... How did you capture the, the footage? Yeah, so uh, there was a team on the ground and then we also took a, like a GoPro as well uh, whilst we were up there. So we didn't actually do much filming of the climbing, but on belays we kind of just did some like pieces and how it was going. And especially on day number three, when the film crew couldn't get to us because you go over this like marshland, um, it was obviously quite important for me and Tom to kind of document what we were doing for the for this film project. Yeah. So we just had like a, yeah, a GoPro. Any incidents with the film crew down there in the marshland? Uh, we dropped the kit a few times. Yeah, we, yeah we dropped it a few <laughs> times. Uh, I think they had some issues getting to us on night number three, which we never knew about. Uh, but we only found out after we'd done the bridge. And apparently they were considering not coming to us to deliver our like portal engine food and stuff like that. Because we had a ground crew which kind of gave us our portal engine stuff for the evening so we didn't have to carry it. Um, and they had some issues on night number three and they, yeah, there was a point where they weren't going to come or something. Mm. And we never knew that. And we would have just been sat there hanging in our harnesses all night. <laughs> Oh, that would have been that would have been hideous. After three days on the After route, three, three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting. So, you, where's your sight lie now, gents? Are you thinking more of the same, or are you are you bigger? Angry? Yeah, <laughs> bigger again. <laughs> See if you can top that. Or are you thinking more? You know, getting back. In, I mean, you're off to America next week. Have you got any? Um, you don't have to give everything away. Is that a, a big objective there or is it more just going to have fun I mean you always seem to have a plan you guys it's like more of a yoga retreat really oh, isn't it for me that one is on this trip is definitely more just like no objectives and go climbing I haven't been on a trip like that for years it's going to be great yeah, yeah psyched just go and enjoy it yeah, yeah, going yeah. to the desert yeah um, it'll be different to Doncaster and Exeter <laughs> won't it <laughs> the funny thing is about these these projects we always say we always do a roof crack like for example we did century crack um 10 years ago and that was like 100 foot of horizontal roof and I feel like we said after that you know I would never climb a bigger roof than that and then you know a few years later we climbed this one millennium arch which is 100 meet, 100 meters uh, horizontal roof yeah and uh, you know, after that we go oh, I would never climb a bigger roof crack than that then a few years later it's just like oh we climbed this motorway bridge and it's blooming like half dome horizontal and uh, we, we, we have said like we're never going to climb a roof crack <laughs> bigger than that you always, seem to be, you always seem to be able to top yourselves, basically. <laughs> yeah. So I guess there must be things lurking in the desert, or you're keen to go and try and find, see what's... There's always wait. more There's more stuff out there, for sure, isn't mm. there? Just from the the basic sort of architecture in terms of how the, the rock lays down and these caves hollow out underneath and then the water runs through uh, on the cracks in the ceilings. 
so and we found some really big stuff down there um so i mean we've i think in total we spent around a month fully wrecking one particular area and valley within the u.s so if you had a year i mean i'm sure there's bigger and better stuff out there for sure yeah and do you have people over there sort of keeping an eye out for you as well not really not particularly no we did though Maybe yeah, that would be need, nice. Like a, I don't know about climbing uh, motorway bridges in the US, though. They might not be, the, the agencies over there might not quite be as friendly as yeah, they're not psyched the, on that. The you, know what, yeah. you know, it's funny, though. I've had some messages from some American climbers going, Oh, I've found a, a bridge over here. It's really good. You should come and try it when you come over next. Yeah. Thinking, and I'm thinking, Oh, no, maybe <laughs> not. Not psyched on that. No. One final thing. we um, <clears throat> Thinking about pressure and dealing with fear while I've got you both here just a couple of things like just any tips you've got for people who um, if you like I'm trying to think dealing dealing with pressure of a big project how do you how do you deal with that whether it's a bold thing on grit or a big thing like that um, and any techniques or tips once you're on it I've sort of thrown that in into the mix a little bit but do you have anything that you sort of I think for me dealing <coughs> dealing with fear or big projects or pressure like that, it's always um, drawing on past experiences. Um, and I mean, yeah, that's, it's kind of difficult if you, you don't have many past experiences, but then I guess your projects or goals will be a little bit smaller and, you know, achievable for the standard that you're at. Um, but for like, as you progress and you're doing bigger things, then yeah, for me, it's always just like drawing on, on other experiences. So getting confidence from yeah. sort of past successes yeah so if like sense. the bridge thing for example yeah. like the the motorway bridge if you'd said 10 years ago or five years ago like go and climb that then that would have seen way more you know monumental and difficult um compared to now when we've had all those experiences in the desert yeah. climbing these big roof cracks over the last 10 years big walls yeah big walls and um and just yeah just like climbing in that terrain and knowing it uh, and that's what you draw on when you yeah, so for somebody things. who's starting out, I guess it's just it's just looking back and sort of recognizing those even small or medium successes, and then sort of building building on that. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that? I'm thinking because you, I know you coach a lot of people through lattice. I know that's more like the physical side, but the mental side such a massive aspect of it, isn't it? People's confidence as well. I think it's just having a trust and a consistency within a process, I guess, and saying that whether you're right at the beginning now or you're halfway through your envisaged climbing career or you're you know, already elite, is going, I just need to build up one little step from where I was last week or last month and not leaping forward too far because I think with like the mental game, in particular around you know, confidence or grit, determination, fear, any of those things, is they're built upon lots of little small steps into like a zone of discomfort rather than completely freaking yourself out. Because I always think like a lot of beginners look at uh, a climber taking a really big fall, for example, and go, I just need to go and practice that. But the reality is actually go and do something which is ever so slightly outside your comfort zone and then just do it multiple times and keep pushing that comfort zone yeah. and you get to a really good position after 10 years. Got a lot of patience though. Well said. And then when you're actually on the route yourself, any tips, different kind of pressure when you're there and it's real? I think uh, I think with those things, like especially with the bridge as well, it's just like um, 
it's obviously like really discomfort and like hard work and all that kind of stuff but you just look at it like okay well is it actually that much of a discomfort or hard work that I have to give up no okay well I'll just do another pitch then yeah. and it's just like keeping keeping going like one little step at a time it's almost like the frame you put around it mm. in fact yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's also important to uh, like sort yourself out with good partners and things that are in your environment around you that are supportive to having a good experience out of it yeah. like a lot of what you see me and Pete do is it may look hard and, and it does feel hard to us when we're doing it but we're constantly searching out ways to bring things like fun into it and challenge into it because that's really motivating for us and it improves our personal experience because personally I'll like grind out any old kind of rubbish for as long as you want but as long as I'm having fun with it yeah. I kind of see it as being a really cool thing that's yeah good point and you see a lot of the elite kind of even even competition climbers you know they, they surround themselves with really motivated people don't they when yeah. they're training what about risk itself so I know you've both done a lot of things that are quite scary again is it that you create a little bubble around you when you're doing hard things say on grit where the consequences are quite serious again people looking in at it beginners might think wow how, how do you get how do you stay cool in that situation do you have any little tips around that as a final point I think for me for um, yeah like things on the grit or things that would be classed as risky I mean personally I don't see myself as a risky climber um, I, I, um, I consider the things that I've done to be incredibly dangerous some of them but I like to be able to I would say I like to be able to lower the risk down to a level that is not risky. It's very dangerous, but not much risk. Sure. Um, and that's kind of how you've calculated I, and yeah. yeah. And again, it's like learning on past experiences and also having a really good understanding of your own ability uh, to make sure that um, you can you can do it. To be honest, I felt like I've obviously like um, soloed some quite big walls and also done stuff on the grit. And I feel like this when people look at it, they might go, oh, like look at soloing big walls that looks really risky or dangerous or whatever but I actually feel like the most risky stuff I've done has actually been on the gritstone where the ground's where really the ground's close really close and the climbing is way way harder and uh, obviously the danger is much higher on a big wall than um, the danger is much higher but the risk is lower whereas on the grit like the risk is a bit <laughs> like quite a bit higher the danger is a bit lower yeah um, and I guess it's, it can be over quite quickly in terms of the climbing experience yeah, yeah. what about you Tommy you have anything to add to that or I think it's just trying to get as, and it's hard, it's really hard to do, but get as objective as possible about the true risk to something. Because there's a lot of perceived risk and stuff that kind of blows up in your head and you sort of, sure. it, it exponentially gets larger and larger, but trying to dial down exactly what the risk is so that when you walk into the situation, I think your behavior becomes a bit more rational. Like in the sense that if you were to go and see a tiger in the zoo, is that if you didn't understand that, that fence in front of you was a hundred percent guaranteed to hold them back you'd find it very hard to walk right up to that fence if the tiger was on the other side but if you understand that it looks scary and you're not used to it not accustomed to it but it's not going to break through the fence you quite often can just walk up to it and feel okay about it yeah i think it's similar to that well said. nice brilliant thanks guys um great to chat really looking forward to seeing the full version of the film i think it's going to be online at some point and um yeah have an awesome time in the states yeah thanks very much yeah cheers cheers thank you thank you for listening to this episode i hope you've enjoyed it 
I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. Bridge Boys will be premiered on the 25th of March as part of the Real Rock 16 Global Online Weekend event. You can head over and buy tickets from realrocktour.com. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this one, don't forget to subscribe. We have Series 3 landing in June where I delve into the mind, chatting with people about being bold and pushing the boundaries. I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon.